Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to talk to Anders about end-to-end development, how automation can become your out-of-the-box auditing, and also the importance of seeing the whole development process from actual development to deployment, looking at the whole process holistically and then smashing the boulders that are slowing you down. So let's break some development process rocks together. Let's not delay. Let's get Anders into the space to share his enlightening wisdom. Welcome, Anders. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. A pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Brilliant. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Who do you work for? So I I work for a company called CloudBees, uh, where I work as the uh, VP of Technology Strategy, which, you know, sounds like a kind of a fancy title. But what it what it really means is I work with our product teams. I still get to write code, which is awesome, by the way. I, I love having a sort of keeping a hand in that. Not as much as I would like to, but uh, but you know you can't get everything you want in life. <laughs> um, I work a lot with our customers, uh, both sort of in pre-sales, you know, sales situations, and and also post-sales during uh, deployments and implementations and and those sorts of things. And and then of course also work with with our product teams and and with our marketing teams, um, you know, doing outbound, uh, uh, you know, product awareness, leadership. Uh, awareness and and sort of thought thought leadership stuff. Although I cringe at calling myself a thought leader, um, maybe that's the Swede uh, in me. I, I was born and grew up and spent uh, the majority of my childhood in uh, in Sweden. And then you might be able to tell from my accent, I've spent uh, a lot of time and, and have lived in the U.S. for the majority of uh, of my uh, my adult life. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'm kind of curious around the kind of time in Sweden. Because uh, I was talking to another CTO about this, is that you know Sweden comes up with a lot of ideas, but they don't tend to implement them. Is this is kind of like culture of not trying to uh, present themselves outwardly too much or something. It, you know, the stereotype of of a, of a Swede uh, is is definitely you know a little bit sort of uh, introverted and 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 those kinds of things. Which you know, once you get to know individuals, that isn't necessarily as 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 true. But there there is some of there's definitely some of that. Now, I will say, you know, Sweden is a is entrepreneurially is huge, right? Wow. You know, and 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 there's been a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if it's appropriate to use the word, but it's sort of a diaspora of of you know technical, uh, especially on the tech side of of people leaving Sweden and 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 doing great things. But um, you know, and and obviously it's hard to to talk about Sweden without sort of mentioning the you know, kind of the perception of that it's a, you know, cradle to grave welfare state and, and, and those sorts of things, which there certainly is, you know, robust safety nets there, but it's, but it's a very, very capitalist economy and a, and a very entrepreneurial uh, economy. And I would say, especially in the last 20, 25 years or so, lots of technology companies uh, have, have, have blossomed there. You know, there is definitely a little bit of, oh, do I have to leave Sweden in order to sort of make it big, right. you know, those sorts of things. I think that's less true certainly for Sweden and probably in general as well, you know, as, as the connectivity 
you know, a Zoom yeah. <laughs> and all yeah, the various well, competitors have, have enabled better communication. Uh, not perfect communication because I still love in-person stuff, but uh, um, and hopefully we get back to that. Um, but but there's definitely you know you you can get more done without actually having to to be in a particular place. You know, yeah. I, I graduated from college in 1989, and there was no other place for me to go but Silicon Valley to do what I wanted to do. You know, or at least very few places to go other than Silicon Valley to 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 go do what I wanted to do. That's not as true anymore. You 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 can do a lot if you can make connections and establish a presence and so on. Um, you can be anywhere and and do what you want to do in 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 the tech industry now. Certainly compared to what it was like 30 odd years ago. Yeah, excellent. I, I I've kind of felt that coming for quite a few years. I mean, I, I'm imagining myself uh, in a mind you, I'm not a developer anymore, so I can't do it. But uh, when I was a developer, sitting on a beach somewhere with a pina colada. Uh, tapping away on the keyboard, you know, it's it, it, it's possible, you know, just got to keep the sand out of the keyboard. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. Yep. Brilliant. So the company that you work for, CloudBees, what do they do? What are, what's the problem that they're solving in the industry? The, the, you know, if I had to boil it down in, into a nutshell, it's, it's, it's really managing your software delivery. Right. So and, and that comes down to a couple of aspects of it. Software delivery, automation and orchestration. Um, and then software delivery management, as, as we call it. And you can sort of think of, you know, think of the, the SDA, as we, we call it, software delivery automation, as, as the factory aspect of software, right? So end-to-end -end automation and orchestration of your, of your software processes, all the way from continuous integration on the, you know, kind of on the far left of, of the spectrum, all the way through to everything that you do to build, test, qualify, deploy, release, and, and even to some extent operate, although you know, I think that's probably a little bit where the boundary is, mm -hmm. uh, the, your, your software. So so end-to-end -end orchestration of, of, of the whole thing. And then the software delivery management aspect of it is a little bit more sort of the analytics around it and, and how efficient am I at doing this and where, you know, what, what data can I use to uh, to get visibility into my processes, to get visibility into my deliveries, to track where I am, where are my blockages, where are my 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 constrictions in my pipelines, if you will, where are the arterial blockages in my delivery, <laughs> uh, my software delivery pipelines, yeah. uh, so that we can go in there and you know widen it out in a little bit and get better <laughs> yeah. flow going. Um, you can take that analogy a little too far, probably, but uh, <laughs> but that, that's really what we do. So so it, it, you know anywhere from from continuous integration, continuous testing, although we, you know, we're not a testing company, but we, we orchestrate and drive everything under the sun when it, when it comes to doing that. And really making sure that you have visibility and manageability and automation and orchestration for everything that you do uh, uh, related to how you know, your idea becomes something that's in your customer's hands. Brilliant, I love it. I can imagine this um, really enables um... Uh, being a developer in the past myself, you know, there's lo lots of things that you had to do to comply with what, you know, the processes, good practices um, and, and what have you. I imagine it kind of takes all that kind of thinking around that out of the way and gets you just so, uh, focusing on what you want to do, basically, just solving the domain uh, application problem. Yeah, I, you know, I think it, 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 you know, it's interesting because, you know, obviously what what the world has moved towards and, and a lot of this you know, Agile has helped us there. And, and you know, I'm sort of using little a Agile there. So whether it's, you know, Scrum or Kanban or, or, or you know, SAFE or whatever sort of framework or methodology you use, I'll just use kind of little a Agile as, as, the, as the umbrella term for that. And, and of course, DevOps, 
right? Or, or, or dev, insert your favorite thing here, ops, dev, sec ops, dev, test yeah. ops, you know, those sorts of things. The, 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 the focus on process, the focus on, and in particular, the focus on culture and the importance of culture in the performance of teams. Um, it, it's just been, it's been so much fun to be part of, to be a little part of that journey over the years. You know, I, I before I was at Cloudbees, um, where I've been for a couple of years, I was for the, for the 15 years prior to that was with a company called Electric Cloud, where I was the chief technology officer and we were acquired by, by Cloudbees. So this, this is really one, for me, one continuous journey since 2004, focusing on and working with our customers and teams and, and the community in general on look what what does it take to get good at doing this you know and what does good look like and how do we know that we're good at 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 doing this particular thing and and being able to kind of narrow in on you know we 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 focused very much as an industry and in particular you know what what we did as as a company on you know on on the continuous integration problem in in the early days because that you know that's pretty far left in the life cycle and and if you you know if you've been in the industry long enough to remember when there was a time when you would go weeks without trying to build your software and trying to integrate all your changes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I remember, you know, hearing about a, a, a conversation about how back in the day when Lotus Notes, when the company Lotus was around and they were working on their Notes product, which, you know, I, maybe it's around still. I don't know. Sorry, um, but but their process was their engineers would go off for several weeks. I, I believe it was like six weeks and work individually. On, on, on their on their code and then they would come together and then for about the next six weeks would have kind of an integration storm right yeah. and that an incredibly inefficient way of working but but kind of state of the art for the time right and yeah. then as continuous integration came into play and we realized look we we have to be always trying to integrate always trying to build always trying to have that and and um, the, you know the, the the great thing about continuous integration one of the really important parts, about continuous integration is that it gives you a stable quality signal about about what your what your code is you know where it's at you know yes. at any point in time. Um, so so starting at that part of the journey and then working kind of more towards the right in terms of continuous delivery, continuous deployment, uh, more agile and DevOps kind of processes. It's, it's been a fantastic journey to be able to be a, to be a part of that. Lots of fun yeah. you know, and, and lots of hard problems to solve along the way, which is you know that's fun well, too. I mean, it does sound pretty fantastic to be honest. I um, uh, having worked in the kind of embedded area myself, you know, when uh, I saw continuous integration, uh, you know, it's a thing that a lot of companies talk about, but they don't really, the ones that back then didn't really kind of do it. Uh, but we were working on RF mobile masts, you know, the, the communication. Uh, so we actually had continuing integration all the way to the point where it would check in code, build it, load it up to a, uh, an RF mast and transmit and have receivers picking up the correct signals, you know, so you know, that's how how we knew it was working or not, you know, so pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, that, it, it, it's 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 uh, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, kind of embedded systems, because that's, you know, at, at Electric Cloud, in a way, that's where we got our start. Um, our, our first product that we worked on at the time, still still a product at CloudBees, uh, it's called Accelerator. And it's a, you know, the, the quickest way to describe it is it's a parallel distributed make that makes your builds run incredibly fast and correctly every time. Wow. Um, and and our our target market because it was you know largely armed at largely aimed at at, at, uh, at people using Make uh, as, as a build tool was obviously you know lots of native code lots of embedded systems and those sorts of things and we kind of got our start in in that segment of the market as well 
when we started working on our, our second product, which is now our CloudBees uh, CDRO product. And, uh, and, and so, you know, because Embedded has lots of interesting problems, you know, mm. and, and it's one of those things where whenever there's hardware involved and you get to a point where you've got to make some decisions that are difficult to undo later on because you got to come up with a with a chip mask or you've got to come up with a with a board design or you got to get something manufactured or those sorts of things that ain't software you know that gets real and physical and gets much more painful to change after the fact right and 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 in some ways that was a great space to work in because the 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 pressure to get it right the first time is is so enormous that the more cycles you could get in yeah. you know the more you, the more often you could build the more often you could test was was incredibly valuable so that when you get to that point sort of that no go no go point if you will sort of when you're, you're about to launch the rocket you know yeah. metaphorically yeah. um you're in a good you're in you a, a you're warm in a good fuzzy point. feeling you know you, you know it's not yeah. going to go kaboom you know um yep and so with this company that you uh I, so you've explained that uh cloud bees bought out uh electric what was it cloud electric, electric cloud, electric cloud. And, and when you started kind of developing this uh, end-to-end development uh, machine, was it was it to develop code internally to the organization? Was it like, no, we see this as a thing in the market that's needed? Um, what brought about this solution? It, it was it was a it was a number of things. One of which was that right. So so um, culturally at, at Electric Cloud at the time, we we had you know very much a kind of a um, you know dog fooding mentality, right? We we used the accelerator product. To accelerate our own, you know, build uh, processes, and and so so we we very much had that kind of culture of we run a uh, we run a pre-flight build before we submit changes to the source code management system. So, you know, you you run essentially a CI uh, a cycle, but pre-commit, right? Now this is easier to do in the world where you have Git and where branching and merging is. Uh, trivial compared to the way it used to be with older SCM systems that are a little bit more more complicated. Thank God for Git. You know, not the only uh, system that's out there, and I know there's others that are that are great at doing this kind of stuff as well. But, mm. but, but so that so there was that sort of well, what happens after the build? What happens after the compile? You know, how can we orchestrate that? How can we orchestrate the testing? And 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 we also got those questions from our customers, right? So they were like, great, you took our, you know, you took our 20-hour compile and squeezed it down to two hours for us. Awesome. Can you help us with what comes afterwards, right? So can you help us orchestrate testing? Can you help us orchestrate other activities that we need to do as part of release, you know, verification, security scanning, uh, the, you know, deployment ultimately, uh, in, in whether it's deployment for testing or deployment for production, you know, th- those sorts of things. So, it was, so it, was, it was kind of a, we felt the need ourselves. We had built our own in-house system. So we kind of, we, we didn't take that and sort of just commercialize that we, we we built a product based on some of the, a lot of the principles that we had learned as part of that uh, as part of the accelerator product um but but it was also our customers kind of saying hey thank you for you know factor of 10x improvement in our build cycle times now can you take our test cycle and do the same thing and and so part of it you know and we, we worked with a with a semiconductor vendor as our our very first customer for the what was it at the time called electric commander that was what is now uh, cloudbees uh, cdro uh, continuous uh, delivery uh, release orchestration um or sda is really what we call it now so you know the product names change a lot and <laughs> i'm not in 
I'm not, I'm not always so attuned to what's the correct name to call it. So I apologize to any of our Cloud Bees uh, uh, product marketing folks who are just cringing as I use old names. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but sorry. <laughs> but, but you know, really, it was, it was kind of the, that journey of, of um, our own needs, our, our customers pulling us in that area, and, and the very first customer that we worked with for that, for that uh, continuous uh, uh, delivery product was it was a large semiconductor manufacturer, and they had. They, had, they were working on MPEG uh, uh, drivers for MPEG hardware uh, that they that they manufactured. So video encoding, you know, stuff that used to go into to DVD players and and, and and those sorts of things. Well, probably still go into something somewhere. Um, and and they, they had a problem because they had they had about five thousand different tests that they needed to run. And and you know they were various various amounts of complexity around the tests, various durations of those tests, and they really wanted to be able to throw hardware at the problem. Wow. You know, and as much as an IT organization might cringe when you say throw hardware at the problem because they think dollar signs, mm -hmm. um, you're actually in a very good spot as a technology company if you're able to throw hardware at a problem. If you're not able to throw hardware at a problem, you've got a much more complex problem to solve, yeah. right? So so the, the, we were, but long story short on that one, we were able to take their very long lengthy process and collapse it down to i mean i forget what the actual kind of you know speed improvement was but it was significant it was 20 30 40 50x so wow. significant that they took what, what was at the time an alpha level kind of product and they put it into production wow right and we were just like oh, oh are you sure are you sure lots of things are going to change it might be a little rocky. they're like look this is helping us so much right now we'll take the pain we'll work wow. with you um, and that was interesting to me too, because it really was the beginning of a journey for me where I realized the importance of really partnering with your customers, you know, and really working with them and being in the trenches with them a little bit, especially when you're working on these kinds of things. Um, and, and, and really understanding closely what their problems are, what their motivations are, the pain that they're undergoing and, and the kinds of risks that they're willing to take in order to, to mitigate that pain. Um, and, and so for me, that was a journey to, to, to understanding just really the importance of being close to your customer, you know, and, 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 and living, walking in their shoes a little walking bit. Walking really knowing their pain, you know, and, and experiencing yep. it, seeing the tears run down their face. Yes. You know? um, yes. Yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the, uh, I don't know, kind of loose metrics as you, as you kind of put, uh, you know, are huge improvements in this development. So what kind of customers do you work with? I mean, what kind of projects are there? Are they embedded? Are they more kind of web-based or? It, it's it's all of the above these days. Um, you know, it, it, you know we, we, we have, we still have a, a large customer base of, of, of embedded. Um, you know, again, that sort of the, 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 you know, the fact that you at some point have to meet the physical reality of having to make a device yeah. Uh, and then have to put software in that device and put that device in a box. And, you know, not that there's a lot of inventory being stored in any of the sort of, you know, uh, web, uh, you know, Amazons of the world. You know, mo most of it's kind of, you know, just in time inventory. But, you know, you, you, you got to make a physical device. You got to put the software in the device and you got to put the device in the box and then you got to ship the device to the to the box to the customer. That that lends a, that that's a certain bright line there. Right. Of after we do that it gets much more difficult to fix things, right? And, uh, and you know, if you think about how nowadays it's kind of expected that, you know, our, our, the apps on our mobile devices auto-update, even the OS on our mobile devices auto-update, um, 
even our, you know, our, 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 you know, Wi-Fi routers and, you know, kind of other devices that we have in our homes, televisions and so on, auto update. That was not always the case. A, there wasn't even a mechanism for doing an update after it shipped. That, that, that's still, you know, the case in, in a lot of uh, places, but it's becoming less acceptable. Or then the expectation was that the customer would do the update. And as, as I'm fond of saying, my mom has never and will never update the software in her Wi-Fi router. She kind of doesn't know that she has a Wi-Fi router and doesn't care and shouldn't <laughs> yes, to care. Yeah. Right? And 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 the fact that we've gotten to the point now, and I and I love the story about the the dog mode in in the Tesla cars. You know about how you know somebody t uh, tweeted at, at Elon Musk and was like, "Hey, you know my dog's in the car." Is the, you know and then like, and I'm telling I'm probably getting the details of the story wrong, but like a few days later over the air update into the Tesla and now there's dog mode, you know, run the fans when there's a, when there's a, when there's a dog in, in, in the car, so there's no overheating. Yeah. Kind of a thing. But, but just that, that we've gotten to the point now where you can, you can do a, 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 a post purchase, post operationalizing your software updates. Um, that's massive. That's huge. That's also necessary and required pretty much at this point, right? For if not for security and safety, then just for competitive reasons as well. Because if you know if Tesla can do it and company X still requires me to take my car, for example, into the dealer mm -hmm. so that the dealer can put a USB stick in the little USB port and do the update. Well, guess what? That's the most expensive deployment in the world, yes. right? In terms of dollars per hour and my time wasted and spent on that. So it's it's great to see innovation in 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 the space where once a device leaves the 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 leaves our hands and goes into the customer's hands, that it continues to get updates, it continues to get new functionality, and and that that's become expected. Right, and, and not just something that's unusual, but we're really be starting to become the baseline of, of, of how we operate with software, especially software that's on devices out in the real physical world. Brilliant. Uh, also, I'm also curious around um, certain systems I've worked on, for example, in banks where you have um, applications, uh, where you have like a, a development area, dev, and then you have a user, um, you know, a kind of a staging place where you can kind of test things out. Um, and then a production A and a production B. Um, do, do, are you able to kind of support stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, and sort of, and also kind of continuing to answer the rest of the question that I didn't really kind of forgot the answer for in terms of who are your customers, yeah. uh, finance and, 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 uh, and other regulated industries, um, whether it be healthcare, automotive, aerospace, or those sorts of things is, is a huge part of our, our, our business as well. And, you know, the interesting part there is, you know, working in a operating a, a business in a regulatory environment is is a challenge. Um, the 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 regulations aren't they don't really talk about you know the, I, I believe at least in the U.S. you know we in in finance you talk a lot about things like separation of duties right that yeah. phrase does not occur in the law right that that's a term of art inside the industry and and it and there's there's definitely been a challenge in finance in particular in terms of working with regulators, working with auditors and, and, and technologists and IT people, yeah. working with the regulators to kind of figure out, well, what does that mean? Can I do this? Mm. Or if I can't, why? And does, does the fact that I need to do that, do we need to change the law? To do that, you know that that whole dance has been going on for 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 many many years now, and I think there's all kinds of interesting projects, you know, ongoing. There's a there's a there's a, a, a kind of an open source community called Finos, 
uh, which which I'm a part of uh, on the on the DevOps side of it, where where it's it's a lot of financial institutions getting together to sort of, you know, jokingly I would refer to it as kind of a support group for people in the finance industry to talk about how they're able to get their jobs done and and satisfy regulatory requirements and and still be able to you know operate efficiently and quickly and and, and those sorts of things. It's much more than that, obviously, but uh, but that's an aspect of it. And and to to get to the heart of that that question in terms of you know. Uh, working with with um, software processes where you've got, you know, multi, multiple environments, right? And you may not, it may not be just multiple environments, right? You may have multiple product teams that need to coordinate their uh, software in order to then be able to release it to the world. And if you think about it in a larger scope, it gets even more complicated than that because yeah. there may be regulatory aspects of that in terms of disclosures and training, right? Training for your customers, training for your employees. Um, documentation and, and and those sorts of things and all those things before you release a big feature, let's say, all of these things have to line up so that we can more or less at the same time. Although the more you can decouple it, the better. And and there's obviously ways that that you can you can that we can help with that. But that you can sort of jump across the line at the same time, so that at the same time the the back end has the right stuff, your middleware has the right stuff, your mobile app has the right stuff, your website has the right stuff. The regulatory disclosures are correct. The staff has been trained. Customers, you know, customer training is 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 available. Or you know, kind of the hey, there's some upcoming changes to this page. Do you want to look at them early? Yes. You know, feature flagging, uh, kind of you know, dark deployments. You know, those sorts of things. But the, but you know, and, and one of the things that we've worked with a lot, especially in our release orchestration product, the the SDA product, a lot of it has to do with okay, what does your pipeline look like, you know, CI pipelines, one thing to do the continuous integration, obviously with, with our CI product, which is, you know, kind of commercial version of Jenkins, just to simplify that, but, but also sort of what happens after that. And, and, and what are the environments that you're going to deploy into and are, are we, and we came at that at electric cloud and, and also obviously at, at CloudBees with, with kind of a point of view, which was look to the greatest degree possible. If you have test environments, staging environments or you know UAT user acceptance testing environments pre-production environments production environments make sure that those are all to the greatest degree possible and practical the same right obviously not at scale right because your production environment's probably going to be quite a bit bigger than all of the other environments but make sure that the deployment processes that you're using to deploy for testing or deploy for staging are substantially the same as what you're going to do on game day when you deploy into production, right? And uh, Sam Fell, who's one of our, our brilliant marketing folks, he vice president of marketing at at, uh, at Electric Cloud, and, and and now with us also as as well at at, uh, at CloudBees, talk, talks about how if you don't use substantially the same deployment processes to go into production as you did in testing, it's like you have a practice squad for your sports team, let's say American football, that the practice squad practices all week long. And then the big game on Sunday, you send in the team, but the team hasn't practiced all week because <laughs> the practice squad did the practicing. Well, predictable results, right? So, so use the use the fact that you use a substantially the same um, uh, deployment process for your pre-production environments as you do for your production environments. Now, with with the onset of you know the, the Ansibles and the Kubernetes of, of of the world, these things have become more practical and easier to do. Mm. Right, because if you deploy into Kubernetes, for for example, how you're scaling up and down, yeah, that that the scale factor is going to be a lot smaller in your staging environments 
probably for economic reasons, if for no other reasons, yeah. than they are once you go into production where you've, you've, you've got to handle a much larger load. But the Helm chart's going to look the same, right? That is an absolute win, right? Because that means that you are evolving, testing, designing your, your, your deployment methodologies and processes alongside your product. Right. And that's incredibly important, incredibly important. If you, and, it, and it, it, you know, it's kind of, you know, you think a little bit about if you think back to the days of desktop software, I mean, I, there still is a little bit of desktop software in the world, obviously, but your installer was that thing, right? Mm -hmm. The installer was your customers other than the box that the software used to come in and, and software used to come in boxes for those of us <laughs> listening who maybe aren't aware of that. Um, <laughs> software used to come in boxes and you took it off the shelf at the store and you took it to the register and purchased it. And you, that was the first, and then you ran the installer and that was your first exposure to the software. And it, it's funny because oftentimes the, the individual working on the installer would be, you know, the, the summer intern or the junior engineer, when in fact doing things like installation, that's a complex process. And you're, you're honestly better off having a, a knowledgeable senior person working on that problem because it yeah. can get very complex. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 the looking at that end-to-end -end process and all the stages that you have to go through, Oftentimes, environments are attached to to those to those stages, and and automating and orchestrating how you enter those stages and and the conditions under which you're allowed to exit and then enter the next stage. And I'm talking, I'm being very deliberate about that terminology in terms of, you know, you might have gates, you might have, for example, we, you know, we're not going to be able to even go into staging if our code coverage isn't above a certain amount, or at least above a certain amount relative to where it was for the last release. Right, whether that release was two hours ago or two months ago, mm. um, we're not gonna we're not gonna be allowed to exit staging and go into pre-production unless all known vulnerabilities in third-party uh, uh, libraries are addressed and mitigated. You know th those sorts of things, right? So when you start to uh, take what is essentially your value stream, right? And if, if if folks aren't familiar with the concept of value stream mapping. VSM highly recommend that you learn about that. It's it's a it's it you know the, the simplest way I can describe it and and probably some of the VSM folks in 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 the world will, will cringe at my simplistic definition here of, of of this here. But it's basically put a GoPro camera on your source code's head and follow it all the way through to when that code is in your customer's hands and know all the work that happens and where value is added to that. And when you're doing stuff that isn't adding value or is subtracting value, or maybe it's just the code is just sitting in the corner by itself being lonely for three weeks, yeah. right? Um, it, it's really all about how do you discover all the work so that you can then automate it, orchestrate it, and have the humans not do the repetitive rote work, um, which frankly, we humans kind of suck at, and computers <laughs> are much better suited at doing. Yeah. And we can, have it, we can have the humans do the creative problem-solving innovative work which we tend to be a lot better at than 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 computers and yeah 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 AI yeah 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 you know they can write paragraphs and and do all that kind of stuff too it's it's happening but look you know humans do the creative the bulk of the creative and innovative work in 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 the world still and that will continue to be the case for for at least my lifetime and probably a few generations uh, beyond that but but if you understand all the work that happens and you can uncover the invisible work. Um, which I, I at least would, would that phrase, you know, making work visible, I attribute that to Dominica de Grandis. Uh, I don't know if she came up with it or not, but the, she, she is who, who I learned that from. 
Mm -hmm. um, but that you know all the things that happen, then you can start to figure out like wh where are we adding value and where are we not really adding value and how do we orchestrate and automate all of the steps in that process so that so that we can then look at it. And when you start to talk about it from an audit and governance and controls perspective, that you can start to determine where are the stages, where are the transitions from one point to another where we need to have the, the control gates, whether they're, and hopefully they're automatic, right? Hopefully the, hopefully the gates are automated. And so you can, you can have sort of controls as code as, as one of our largest financial customers likes to talk about it, where, where, where you can, you know, you really can just say, look, we can automate the checking that that particular control is met. And, and if it's, if the criteria are satisfied, we go on to the next stage, you know, we, we, we move on. And if the next stage is production, in you go. Brilliant. And whether that's a tiny little bug fix release or whether it's a major feature release that obviously is going to have a lot more controls around it. Um, you know, either way, it ought to be as smooth and 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 um, and non-blocking, non-stopping yeah. uh, as, as as possible. It sounds very predictable. Yeah, you're kind of creating a predictability around the process. And um, and again, from the kind of governance perspective, if this is automated, I, I'm going to steal a term that I, I saw on your website. Um, automation is auditing. And I love that because it, it, so, as soon as I read it, I thought, yeah, you're right. You know, that is absolutely right. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm actually going to take credit for that phrase because I've been using <laughs> it for years. Um, so, you know, and, and, and really, and, you know, sort of simplifying it a little bit, um, the whole audit and governance process and, you know, auditors, governance people will probably cringe a little bit about my oversimplistic um, description here, but auditing really comes down to two things. Document what you say, what you're going to do and then prove that you did what you said you were going to do, right? To me, that that's governance in a nutshell, right? And, and if you think about automation and orchestration, a, a definition of automation, um, you know, a software pipeline, uh, you know, a, a, DSL, a DSL, you know, domain-specific language, for example, as, as we have for Jenkins uh, and as we have for our, our, our CDRO product, where you can define, you know, your pipeline and your release product in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a DSL segment. That is your documentation of how you build, test, qualify, and release um, uh, your, your, your software. And then the runtime record of executing that definition of your orchestration then becomes a large part of the record that proves that you did what you said you were going to do. And, and of course, along the way, if as you're orchestrating all of these things, and especially with our products, you know, you, you can collect lots of metadata along the way of, okay, we need to prove that we ran this type of container scan, right? Not only do we need to prove that we ran the scan, but we also need to prove that we use the correct configuration in that scan right? Because, I mean, you know, all of these, you know, say container scanning tools, for example, there's a bazillion different flags for, for what you run and what you look for and, and, and what you find and what you consider to be relevant and what you can, you know, sort of the, the, the signal that you're looking for and what is sometimes noise uh, that comes out of scanning tools. And that's not a critique on scanning tools. That's, that's just a reality of, of, of the problem that we're working in there. Sure. But, but you are able to, to, to not only prove that you did the scan, for example, but that you did it correctly. And that, you know, you, you, we ran code coverage during this part of the test phase. And, you know, the, the code coverage is, is at the very least, you know, not worse than it was before and hopefully up and to the right in, yeah. in, in terms of coverage. And, you know, all the other various, you know, kind of controls that you want to have in terms of, 
you know, who signed off on this? Uh, what were, were the criteria met uh, for doing that? Were there any architectural changes in the application this time around that need to be vetted for, you know, by SecOps teams or by architecture teams? Um, you know, all, all, you know, our, how are we defining our infrastructure? Is our infrastructure manually defined the way it was for, for decades? Or are we using virtual machines? Are we scripting them? Are we using Ansible? Are we using containers? Are we using Kubernetes? Are we using Helm? You know, whatever the case may be, collecting all of that information so that you're then able to yeah. very much more quickly satisfy the, the audit and governance requirements that you have, which of course vary across industries. But, yes. but, but in a nutshell, boil down to, you know, prove that you did all the right things every single time. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and that's really what it comes down to. And then, and obviously I'm biased because I've worked in, in software automation and orchestration for, for, for a couple of decades. But if you can automate and orchestrate those things, you've taken a lot of the risk out of the process, not all of the risk and not all kinds of risk clearly. Um, but, but you've gotten the kind of ad hocness out of your process to, to a great degree. And if you're able to do that as an end-to-end -end orchestration with an end-to-end -end pipeline that starts with your CI process and ends with your, uh, or, or at least, you know, the journey, you know, goes as far as the deployment into production, you know, obviously things happen after that as well, yeah. then you're in a pretty good spot. You know, yeah. you, you, you've got a, you've lined up a lot of things that are going to make your life easier and, and your audit and governance folks, uh, their lives easier when it comes to looking at whether it's during or you know, kind of post facto, the, the, the audit and governance uh, and control mechanisms that you have in, in place and that you're required to have in place, or you know, as as as, uh, as some folks are fond of saying, you know, or you go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Anders, it almost seems like this makes auditing and compliance a breeze. Oh well, um, it makes it easier. Uh, I wouldn't assert that it makes it a breeze because audit and compliance is, but it's a difficult topic, right? Yeah. Um, there, there, you know, there is the whole aspect of, you know, the, the regulations and the law, they don't prescribe in any great detail how you're supposed to go about doing these things. And, and you know, the, the, you know, law moves a lot slower and regulation moves a lot slower than technology. Yeah. So that's a challenge, right? Um, I mean, it's probably a good thing because I'm not sure I would want laws and regulations to move at too great a pace. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a good deal of history in, in humanity that that and, and probably in present day, if you look in certain places in the world, where where that kind of stuff moving fast is is also highly correlated with the lack of freedom. Yeah. Um, um, it, you know, enough said on that. But but it it, it is a challenging thing, and and it, and it comes into. And, and this is one of those areas in, in, in DevOps in particular, where, you know, there were, especially in the early days of DevOps, there, there was definitely some tension, I would say it's fair to say, between audit and governance and DevOps, right? Where, where audit and governance looked at, at, at DevOps and said, oh yeah, you, you want engineers to be able to check in code and push it into production in five minutes. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, and it, it, I had a great experience a few years ago, uh, participated in, um, in uh, the DevOps Enterprise uh, Forum, which is a precursor every year to the DevOps Enterprise Summit that uh, Gene Kim and IT Revolution runs. And that we at Electric Cloud were very proud to, to co-found uh, back in the day, the DevOps Enterprise Summit, um, that where, where one year a, a group of people in, in that DevOps Enterprise Forum uh, uh, put together a website called Dear Auditor. And it's, it's still up at dearauditor.org. And it's a it's a love letter from the DevOps community to the audit community saying, 
look, we realized we might have moved a little fast in the beginning, but we learned some lessons from that. And yeah. it's, it's a great it, it's a great it's a great read just to go 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 sort of read. But I, I think where we're getting to now, and we're, we're in a much better place now where I think there's understanding and communication between the communities and where we're starting to, you know, we're starting to realize that, look, uh, and again, kind of reflecting back a little bit to the whole automation is auditing thing where, look, automation is a good thing, right? Because it means you're going to do it the same way every time. Um, that makes things repeatable, reliable, you know, the, the, and, and those things are always a good thing in, in, a, in an audit context, I, I would assert, and I'm probably not the only one. Um, and, 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 you know, if you do automation with controls, right, with automated controls, or even, look, if you've got a manual phase in your governance or, or control process, or even in your testing process, um, I, I would say a couple of things. One is try to automate it if you can, please, but if you can't, whether it's for historical, political, cultural, technical reasons, um, then then you know at least incorporate that manual step into your pipeline. You know, and our products support doing that, right? So you can have a manual step where somebody has to literally go in and physically click go, and but you know we we audit who did it, who's allowed to do it. Um, they may even be required to submit evidence, you know, sort of a link to some other place or, mm -hmm. or some documentation or whatever, which then gets collected and becomes part of kind of the audit reporting that, that you can do later on. But but it it, it really becomes a, a it, it's really a question of and, you know, with reference to the um, I believe it comes out of Facebook, you know, they're, they're famous for that phrase, you know, move fast and break things. That's not really compatible with audits. You, know, yeah. you don't want to break things in an audit kind of way because again you go to jail or you go out of business you know and then that's happened too and 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 so i think what what, what you want to do is 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 move fast and don't break things mm -hmm. right and 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 if you have the ability to automate and orchestrate and account for in that automation and orchestration all of the things that happen even the manual things mm -hmm. that then puts you in a position for example where now we've collected you know metrics around where do we spend our time yeah. Right. We're from a value stream perspective. If if you look at that manual step and you you realize that, look, for every deployment we, we do, we spend we never spend less than four hours waiting for that manual step to complete, even though it's really just a 30 seconds amount of work on the part of a human to do it. But, you know, the person's at the lunch or nobody on the team is available or they're at an offsite or, you know, whatever. And sometimes it takes two days, not four hours. But if you put yourself in a, in a, in a position where you start to record the data around that, now, you know. Now you look, you look, we, we, we have dead time right here mm. in our value stream where we're not adding value. Let's focus in on that. And maybe yeah. that becomes the biggest rock that you need to, that you need to blow up to, to, to increase <laughs> the efficiency and, yeah. and decrease the cycle times, you know, or maybe it's not, maybe it's some other problem, but sure. if you start to collect that data, then you, you're in a better position. At least to you know, know it's, you've got an awareness exactly. around it. You know, you've got to, you either make an explicit choice to do something about it or not to do something about it. But it's, yeah. it's, it's I mean, my, the example I use in, in that context is, you know, worked with a customer many, many years ago where they were really focused on, they wanted to get their build times down. And of course, we that's what we, that's one of the things that we did brilliantly or do brilliantly at Electric Cloud and Columbia's is, is accelerate builds, you know, run them in parallel, all those sorts of things. And they wanted to and were able to achieve getting their, I, I, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but, but you know, their eight hour build down to 20 minutes, right? Great, fantastic. Then they have six weeks of manual testing. 
So brilliant job doing a local optimization, whereas the global picture is still pretty, you know, pretty dire. dire. Yeah. Right. The problem that they ought to have been focused on and then subsequently did, of course, focus on was, okay, how do we get some automation going in our testing process so we don't have that six weeks of manual testing afterwards? And and the, the, that's one of the things about value stream mapping, about end-to-end -end software orchestration that's really valuable because you start to be able to look at the big picture, the global, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, be able to do global optimizations and focus less on local optimizations because... I mean, the local optimization may be great for the team that's doing it and might make their day-to-day -day life easier, which there's nothing bad about that. But if it doesn't move the ball forward overall, yeah. if it doesn't either get the product into the customer's hands faster or get more product into the customer's hands in the same amount of time or get product with less bugs or less vulnerabilities into the product, into the customer's hands in the less time, then, then you haven't really moved the ball. Right? Right. And, and and so that's why value stream and end-to-end -end orchestration is so valuable because it allows you to start to look at the big picture and figure out what do we do next, right? Yeah. If in, in, in the job of process optimization, what's the next boulder we need to blow up so that we can get to to, 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 to the next stage that we want to get yeah, to? Yeah, I've got, I've got this kind of image of these kind of coming across, not realizing you had boulders. I think that's, that, that's the first thing is the awareness of where it is. So for tech leaders out there, um, I mean, I, I can see this as a, as a huge benefit. What the product that you provide, uh, you know, the, obviously your kind of understanding or how you kind of create these end-to-end -end processes. Um, so just putting you on the spot for a second. So if a tech leader out there said, you know, this is far too much work, too much effort, we don't need to, you know, yes, yeah, is great, sounds great, but we can't do this. It's, we haven't got the time. I mean, what would you say to somebody like that? That, that is what I what I would refer to as the I'm too busy drowning to learn how to swim conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> and we all suffer from that, right? I mean, the day-to-day the, the -day activities that we're engaged in oftentimes doesn't leave us space to step back and reflect on how we can improve, you know? And, and, and as the kind of, you know, as, as, the, as, the, as the, the quality and process gurus of, 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 of the world have said, you know, it, it's not the quality of the daily work that's important. It's the improvement in the quality of the daily work that's, that's important. I mean, that's, that may be Kanban, straight out of Kanban or something like that. I'm not enough of, a, of an expert in that to, to, to say the lineage. So again, people are cringing at Anders, but, um, <laughs> but, that, but, but, but really um, you have to find space for that. You have to make space for that. And that, that touches on culture, right? Because are you able to, in your organization or across your organizations, are you able to make space, make time for that? Whether whether that is, hey, look, we're going to set aside some time to work on this, or whether we're going to, you know, we're going to form a tiger team whose only job for a certain amount of time will be to focus on that, and then they can kind of bring that in to the various teams to, to deploy. You have to find a way to fix that. You have to because if if you're not able to. I mean, competitively, you're going to lose. You're going to have employees and customers leave. It, it, is, it will become an existential problem for you if, if, if your organization is not able to find space, whether that's space and time or space and resources and money or technical space or whatever dimension along which you have to find a little bit of air cover to be able to work on those problems, it will only get worse. You know, it's, it's I, I have this I have this goofy analogy. I, I spent a few years living in, in Ohio, in the United States, in the Midwest. And that was the, and I went to high school there and it was the first time I ever went to a tractor pull. 
And and there, there, there's a point to the story, I promise. <laughs> when, when you're engaged in a tractor pull, you have your souped up tractor and it's pulling uh, a, a sled, right? And and what, what you're doing is there's a very heavy weight on that sled. The weight starts at the back of, of the sled, the trailer essentially. But that, tra that weight moves forward at a constant rate of motion until it's at the front of the trailer and thus above your rear wheels. When that weight gets to the front of your rear wheels, you will no longer be able to move. You will be stuck wow. in the sand, right? Yeah. So you have to be able to move quickly enough that you make progress before that weight, you know, brings you to a full stop. Yeah. And 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 that for me is the is the picture that I use to get into people's heads. I obviously have to explain what it means. If if you're not familiar with the tractor pulls, that's kind of a culturally <laughs> isolated reference. But but the point being, that's what technical debt is, right? Technical debt is that weight creeping forward at a constant rate of motion. Well, hopefully constant. Sometimes it accelerates. Yeah. Until the weight of that technical debt is so heavy that you can no longer innovate. Yes. You can no longer even fix bugs, mm -hmm. right? And and our jobs as technology leaders is to, one of our jobs as technology leaders is to build organizations and build cultures where we make space, space and time, space with resources, space culturally, all of those sorts of things where we can focus on how do we improve the quality of the daily work, not just the quality of the daily work, right? It's it's incredibly important, and and organizations that that aren't able to do that will suffer, are suffering greatly from it. And organizations that are able to do that, they win. They win in the marketplace. They get that edge. You know, go 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 look at the state of DevOps report. You know that that the the Dora folks uh, have have been releasing o over the years. Um, and, and, you know, the data, you know, they, they throw science at that problem, right? Data science at that problem. The signal is so clear coming out of that data that organizations that are able to do those kinds of things, you know, that, that are able to pay attention to, you know, especially those sort of core set of metrics that, that, that Dora, uh, um, that Dora uh, talks about is, is the, their ability to win is just, it's orders of magnitude difference between wow. the laggards and the high performance. It's not measured in percentages. It's, it's like an astronomical problem. You know, we measure it in orders of magnitude. Now we have to move the exponent to, to yeah. talk about it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, in the, in the kind of world of coaching and mentoring, we talk about taking two steps back so we can take a number of leaps forward, you know, and I think this is what this is. And, you know, you once you've got that visibility and that awareness, then you can actually act from a place of knowing and reality. Um, so as we come towards the end of our uh, time together, Anders, um, I want to ask you some interesting and incre intriguing questions about your client self. Are there any books that you know of that would be uh, you would recommend to kind of aspiring leaders out there or even leaders already in the space? What books were gateway books for you? It, you know, it, it, it's funny. Um, I've I've. I tend to not read a lot of books in the industry itself. Um, one of the reasons for that is that for me is a dividing line between my own personal life and, and, yeah. and my work life. Um, but 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 I have a, a number of books over the over the years that that have really in, inspired me greatly. And you know you've probably heard of all, all of these, but the you know the DevOps Handbook is is a great resource for 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 reading and 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 learning about these uh, you know about these kinds of things. Um, the Accelerate book um, is is awesome uh, in in that arena as 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 well. The Phoenix Project, yes, that's another one, uh, absolute must have. If you want to get really nerdy and and sort of 
um, dive into a little bit the inspiration behind the Phoenix Project. Um, also read The Goal by, by uh, Eli Goldrod. I hope I, I hope I got his name right. Um, really, it's the theory of constraints. And, and, and the goal is, is kind of like it, it, it's the Phoenix Project only in a manufacturing context. And it was written you know, earlier. And uh, Gene Kim uh, talks, uh, talks uh, greatly about, uh, about the goal as, as an inspiration there. Though, that's the set of books there. There's also a book that came out many, many years ago in, in the 90s. Uh, uh, and I'm probably going to get the, the title wrong, but I, but I think the title was um, The Psychology of Optimal Flow. Mm-hmm. And it, it really talks about, and, and, and this is one of, this is something that, you know, elite athletes talk about, um, you know, surgeons talk about, um, you know, really, how do you get into the space where you're, you're operating efficiently, whether it's for 20 minutes or 20 hours or, or 20 weeks? Where how do you get into that space where you're you're focused on a problem, you're able to focus on the problem, you know, and, and a lot of it is environmental, you know, if 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 you're in a in a loud office environment and, and that distracts you, how do you mitigate that? That's not a big issue right now these days, clearly. <laughs> no. But we may get back to but it might be worse, right? Because you know, we're 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 not all necessarily in a space where we have a dedicated room these days in our house or apartment where we're able to work free of, of the distractions of everybody else in the household, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, not that those distractions are necessarily bad. They may interrupt your flow though. Um, so so that, and that, that, was, that was a great inspiration uh, uh, for me that, that, that read many years ago, because that, that's something that I felt, you know, that, I've, that, I've, that I noticed, and this was back when I, when I wrote Code Full Time, that there are days when you just, there are day, you know, on, on day one, you make a little bit of progress, and then on on on, on another day, you may make ten times or a hundred times as much progress. Right? Yes. Why is that? Yes. Why is it that on that day I struggled a little bit, and on this day I was just I was in the flow. It was just coming to me. Right? Yeah. And you hear you know you hear um, musicians talk about this. You know, jazz musicians about the flow of a good jazz combo when when they're when they're uh, you know, when they're improvising and it's working, you know, it's not yes. cacophony, it's, 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 it's improvisation and it's working. And, and an athlete when they're, you know, how do they mentally get across a, a different, you know, a difficult, you know, kind of situation in a game, you know, especially if it's an individual sport, if it's a tennis or, or those sorts of things, or even if it's a team sport, you know, when you're, you're struggling and you're down by 20 points and there's, you know, five minutes left in the game, you know, how do you get to be one of those teams where you're able to, to, to overcome that and, and, yeah. and win that game. And, and obviously nowadays sports psychology is a huge, huge thing. It, we're, we're spending a little bit of time on that as well in, yeah. in the tech industry. I think the culture that we talk about a lot is the culture of flow, the culture of of how do we get more stuff done and, and more smoothly and, and, yeah. and, and those sorts of things. I, I, yeah, I love this idea of, uh, of, of flow. It, you know, I, I notice it sometimes when I get there. Um, it, bizarrely, I, I'm, I've shared this before on a podcast, uh, in gaming, um, I don't know if you play if you're in a gamer at all, Anders. Uh, I, I love uh, gaming with other teams, and I never ever connect to the audio, so I can't hear what they're saying, and they can't hear what I'm saying. But somehow we end up in a state of flow. We're with different people in lots of different places, and we just seem to kind of know what to do. You know, bizarre. Absolutely. I mean, I, I know you know I do a little bit of gaming, not 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 a ton, but I'm a huge fan of the the Battlefield franchise. Um, for, for what that's worth. And yeah, I mean, there is that thing of where like, you're in a, you're in a squad of, you know, four or five people and somehow, even though you don't know each other, 
you're not even necessarily communicating verbally over 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 voice over IP, but you're able to get into that rhythm. Basketball players talk about that a lot. Pitchers in baseball talk about that a lot. Of we were in rhythm, you know, we were in rhythm, and one thing flowed from the other, and 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 you know the momentum and and that you build out of that rhythm. That's how you overcome your opponent in a, in a, you know, whether it's a competitive gaming situation or a competitive sports situation, or whether your opponent is the piece of code that you got to write. You know? Brilliant. So here you go, Anders. Here's a fun one. Um, I always love asking this question. If I was a tech genie and I could offer you a wish for your teams, yourself, or your tech leadership, what would that be? It, it, I love that question, and and it's it's only fair that I be on the other side of that because it's actually one that I've used myself with with prospects and customers. Sure. You know, in terms of as a means of discovering where the pain points are. You know, here's here's your magic wand. You get one wish, wave away a problem. What is that problem? Um, I, you know, I I think the 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 difficult challenge in building product is getting cross-functional teams operating smoothly and and you know in particular if you are as as we are at cloudbees a very distributed organization right we are we, we we do have some offices they're mostly empty these days for for obvious reasons but we're very distributed so in a sense that worked in our in our in our um, in our favor at the beginning of the pandemic because we were already you know all meetings were online over video conferencing and and and, and those sorts of things but we, you know, we we were also very used to being able to meet up in in person and do face-to-face -face meetings, and and you know, obviously not being able to do that for for the last year has has, has been a you know challenge for everyone. And and like I said, you know, we were fortunate, lucky enough to already be in a position where we had the systems and processes set up where it was seamless for us to just all of a sudden be at home 100% of the time. Um, you know, other industries, other companies. Uh, other, you know, organizations, cultures, societies have, 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 have had a much, you know, bigger struggle uh, with, 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 with that. But I, but I think if I could wave a problem away, it would be time zones. <laughs> ah, yes. um, you know, and, and, and honestly, because, you know, the, 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 the struggle that, that you have when you're working in a distributed organization is, you know, you want to be able to find the right talent wherever that talent is. Um, and, and, and then the, 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 the challenge that that kind of sets up is, well, there's a, there's a you know, three, five, 10, 16, 17, 18 hour time difference between yeah. where people are. And, you know, it, there's, there's definitely a, a there, are, there are different ways to approach that problem, right? The, 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 you do need to approach it from the point of view of doing more work asynchronously, right? Because it, 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 it just isn't uh, sustainable. To, to have you know 5 a.m. meetings you know all week long if you then also have to have a few six seven eight p.m. meetings right no, nobody can can go without sleep and and, and not go crazy um, but uh, but at the same time and I, and I am a fan of, of of better tooling to enable asynchronous work but I'm also of the mind that not all work can or should be asynchronous a lot of work requires real time high bandwidth. And, and bandwidth, not in the technical sense, but in the human sense, yeah. collaboration, right? And and a group of people in a room together, able to read each other's body language, able to get up to the whiteboard um, and really quickly sketch out and do things. And I know there's product to do that online and and, and that they help, but it's just not the same yeah, for me. And, and 
look, maybe maybe that's me, and maybe that's a generational thing. You know, I I'll, I I will leave the possibility open that that, that 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 that's the case. But yeah, if I could wave that wave that magic wand, I would magically squeeze us all into the same time zone so that we could, if we have to collaborate remotely, that that half of us are not at the very early part of our day and 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 tired. Uh, from from just having woken up and 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 the other half are you know at the end of Absolutely. our work they're a little bit tired from having you know done a full day's work yeah um, that, i'll see what i can do on that one i i, I am a time <laughs> lord so i'm gonna see what i can do with that <laughs> um awesome. and thank you for that and, and finally your key takeaway to the tech audience out there the, the men women in similar roles to yourself what would your gift be to them i i, I would say and, and because the most common question i get uh, in terms of, okay, we want to do a, a digital transformation or an improvement or those sorts of things is where do we start, right? I, I would say, don't boil the ocean, start small, pick a pain point that 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 every, that every a significant portion uh, feels. Um, ideally, it's a kind of, a, from a global optimization perspective, it's a, it's a, it's something that is going to move the ball forward if you solve it. But when you're getting started, it doesn't have to be, right? If you can show a win, with a local optimization on something in the early days, that's a win too, right? And then pay attention to culture, pay attention and, and have that, you know, I, I love the way you put that in terms of, you know, sometimes you have to take two steps back to be able to make one leap forward. Mm. We have to be able to find space to make improvements, psychological space, time space, resource space, all of those things. You ignore cultural, the cultural aspects of this at your own peril. Um, you know, it, it, culture is so important in 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 this whole journey that we're on in the in the tech industry of transformation. Um, it, it is, I would assert, and I look, I sell tools for a living. I work on process optimization for a living. Culture is the most likely thing that will sink your efforts to to improve. So pay attention to culture. Brilliant. That's a beautiful note to finish on. Thank you for your time, Anders. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. My pleasure. Enjoyed it tremendously. Well, the only thing that stopped that podcast from getting any longer was the time that we'd allocated it. We actually run out of time. I have to confess, I'm really curious about the process that Anders and CloudBees have created together. For large, complex applications, I see this as really useful. As mentioned in the podcast, I remember the time at Alcatel-Lucent, and a big shout out to my ex-Alcatel colleagues out there, that created a great system of automation where we were able to do continuous development and integration and then deploy it onto real hardware RF base stations and test the transmission of RF signals all out of the box. Pretty impressive stuff and it made development so much more easier and gave you that warm fuzzy feeling that what you'd created was going to actually work out in the field before it actually went into kind of more serious testing. So in the podcast, there were loads and loads of takeaways for tech leaders out there. The investment in automation and auditing as you go saves many, many headaches and lots of kachings. that's money, over and over again. The system that Anders and CloudBees have created is just awesome, especially in high compliance industries. So my key takeaways from the podcast were as follows. Number one, how automation can become your implicit auditing tool. My second key takeaway was how tech leaders can enable companies to balance governance and developer freedom with a win-win scenario. And thirdly and finally, the benefit of taking two steps back cannot be understated. 
by taking two steps back, you can make huge leaps forward in looking at the efficiencies of your value delivery system. Stop, observe, become aware of your blocks and the boulders in the way and smash them one boulder at a time. So thank you, Anders. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to hearing about your tool being used in more and more scenarios and situations, making development and deployment easy peasy. And before I go, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter. URLs for this can be found on this page. We're consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about our services at IT Labs, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. That's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening wherever you are in the world from all of us at IT Labs. Live long and prosper until we meet again on the next podcast.